The chant is drill, baby, drill. He had such enormous fun that he called for another elephant to come. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Stay out the bushes. Jeff is a mess. Welcome to a Sunday, August. 21st episode of the elephants in the room howdy ho can't believe it's almost september oh i mean it's it's here it's here the dog days of summer are over We're, i mean we are we are we are in fall i mean what did we see yesterday i mean we, max and i yesterday stopped into lowe's mm-hmm. to get something and as good middle class people we saw uh, inflatables there, mm-hmm. and so we decided to pick them we up. We needed to splurge on them. We right away. needed to buy some inflatables for Halloween and Thanksgiving because it's coming up. So yeah. that's the state of affairs we're in right now. You see, right where our house is in our neighborhood is that we're kind of we're kind of the opening salvo when you when you turn into our neighborhood, and so we've got to set the tone for the neighborhood where we are, and that tone is going to be one of ingress- aggressive inflatables. Yeah. And, For all seasons. You know, we're new to this neighborhood, but my neighbors say that Halloween is a big deal here and that people bring their kids here to trick or treat. So I'm just curious to see what their reaction is to our inflatables. <laughs> I can't wait to see what my reaction is going to be in our inflatables because I have a feeling the shopping list probably increased a little bit after looking through them. <laughs> 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 well, you'll definitely be setting that. them up, so you'll let our listeners know. Well, I know that. I know that. That's, that's we, the job here. We did come to an agreement that we would not put it up until October 1st. But October 1st, Snoopy's going up. I mean, it is still a solid 70 days away from Halloween. Yeah, not on October 1st. So that's only 30 days away. That was perfectly acceptable. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Okay. It's still, as much as it is still summer and it's still just... just incredibly warm out um we are rapidly approaching fall and football season and thanksgiving and it's all wildly coming up quickly and one of the things that happens this year this time of year i should say is back to school and now today we drove through a little bit of the asu campus running some errands and you could see the kids are back a lot more people around the parents aren't down the bars are popping a little bit more there's more people in town and i remember now you and i we stayed in one of the most infamous freshman dorms in the country yes this was this was known across the country where we stayed as as one of the places where you were guaranteed it was basically like new york city thurston hall 
George Washington University. This is basically like New York City, okay? This is the dorm that never slept. Any time of day, you could wander throughout the halls, chances are you could find a party, all right? Someone up to something, someone up to no good, right? You're packing at least four kids into a room. You had the, the wonderful experience of sharing one bathroom with five other ladies. Yeah, so we won't bore you with the details, but essentially what George Washington did was take an apartment building <laughs> and turn all it's the apartments into dorms. So I was living in what was most likely a one-bedroom apartment uh, for yeah. six girls. So we had one girl that was basically in a closet or what was the kitchen, and then three of us in what was the living room, and then two of them in what was probably the bedroom. Looking back on this, it's absolutely unbelievable how, how we lived. I don't understand how the fire marshal allows that to happen. Yeah, I don't even know how. Yeah, I don't even know how legally it's allowed to happen. Um, I mean, this is. But anyways, the, it was exciting though. Remember how exciting it was moving in freshman year? You didn't know who your roommates were going to be. Most likely, you know, this is could be people from anywhere. Everyone's excited. As soon as the parents hit the streets. You know what's going down. It's freshman year. Everyone's there to have a good time. And so I'm thinking back on my experience this time of year, and I'm thinking, man, like, high school was horrible. College was great. And I'm looking at this, and, and, and I, we went to school in D.C. Part of the reason why I was drawn to D.C. is because of, you know, it's close to politics, and I'm obviously interested in politics, and you know, GW, the location's right downtown. Your stones flow from the State Department, White House, all that good stuff. Um, but it was also a different time. It was also a different time. This is before Trump, before Obama, even. This is a time when people still... People... The first conversation that you had with people wasn't, what's your political affiliation? <laughs> <laughs> which seems to be the state of play these days. Hey, what do you believe about what's going on in the news? And how are you, your opinions different from mine? Not That wasn't really the first conversation. I was had a GW because it was kind of understood that there were a bunch of Democrats there, there were a bunch of Republicans there, and that's just life, right? That's just life. You come from small towns. This, this dynamic plays out. This is just life. This is how, this is how things shockingly... For those of you in a town without a library, this is how things used to be in America. That people would debate the issues, but not end up thinking that the person on the other side of that issue wanted to destroy everything about their livelihood. And then pee on their grave and it was all over. <laughs> that's, that's not what happened. But this week, I see an article. This is from the Daily Wire. It's an NBC News Generation Labs poll. It was released on this past Thursday surveyed 1,077 sophomore college students on, on numerous political topics. The highlight of this poll, though, that came out, 62% of college Democrats, Democrats would probably not or definitely not choose to room with someone who supported the opposing presidential candidate in 2020. So that's almost two-thirds of Democrat students. So basically two-thirds of the student body. Now, two-thirds of Democrat students, if given the choice, would not want to room with a Republican. Why don't they just say who supported Trump? Why, why do they got to get it all weird sounding? Um, because that's how um, 
It was written by a machine, probably. Uh, only 28% of Republicans said they couldn't room across the aisle, dorm across the aisle. So, okay, so called. 62% of college Democrats would not want to room with someone who voted for Trump, and mm-hmm. 28% of Republicans would not want to room with someone who voted for Hillary. Is that what it says? Or Biden, yeah. This specifically says 2020. Yeah, Biden. Okay, Biden. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. So the, 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 the point being is that the, the, the thing that I'm, I'm finding funny about this is that the, the, the animosity, according to this study, comes mostly purely from the left. Yeah. That 62% of Democrats, it, that to 62% of college sophomores out there, to college Democrat sophomores, if you're a Republican, you're persona non grata immediately. Yep. I believe they call that close-minded. What? I may believe it would be called judging a book by its cover. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe not getting to know the whole person. Gender is a spectrum, but, politi- but per- human personalities are not. You're either an evil racist fascist or you are a college Democrat, <laughs> in which case you can come room with the college Democrats. Uh I saw this and I and I and I thought to myself, one, this makes total sense because yes. as Republicans and conservatives, generally speaking, we have an attitude among us of there are only so many things in this world that I can control. One of the things that I cannot control is what you as another person believe. I am a Red Sox fan. You may be a Yankees fan. Why? Maybe you grew up in the Bronx. I don't know, but you're a Yankees fan. Am I likely to change your opinion that you are going now going to become a Red Sox fan and hate the Yankees? Probably not. Therefore, I must accept the fact, as a Red Sox fan, that there are Yankees fans in the world. This is called being an adult. <laughs> College Democrats, on the other hand, have not reached the point of adulthood. And this is typical of liberals, and this is what we see with things like the Inflation Reduction Act and some solar panel nonsense that, that Energy Secretary Granholm is, is peddling and the student loan stuff. It, and especially it shows up, I think, foremost with climate change, which is Democrats are convinced, 100% convinced, that they are masters of the universe. That they, have ex- that they have complete and total knowledge of every possible thing that has happened, could happen, and will happen with regards to our climate, our planet, and generally how we evolve as human beings and societies. They have left zero room for the possibility that they could possibly, maybe, be wrong or Something may happen that would change how they may assess a certain outlook on a topic. Now, I'm not defending them, but I'm going to play devil's advocate a little Mm -hmm. bit here. Isn't the whole point of politics that you can always, you're always trying to persuade people to your point of view? Correct. So couldn't it be that they just feel like they can't pers- like isn't there something there rather than like they're closed minded go a little further than that so you're essentially saying like i don't want to talk to you because you don't agree with me correct i, I got that 
But isn't the whole point to persuade people? So maybe it's not that they're closed-minded. Maybe it's that they're lazy. Oh, I buy that entirely too. Yeah, there's there's no there's there's nothing lazier than an authoritarian, right? Because an authoritarian doesn't want to have to critically think about what might be the best possible solution for everyone. The authoritarian just does whatever they feel is right and may and will result in the best outcome for them. And that's how and that's how liberals think, right? This is this is climate like this is the this is the quote-unquote climate change religion that we have to deal with with liberals of hey we're going to give you tax credits because we want to push this technology but only for these certain companies that donated to our political campaigns right it's oh you know i understand that um that that it would be it would be uh uh you know it's the same thing that we see with john Kerry flying private and then he tells us to fly commercial Rules for, for me, rules for thee, not for me. Um, and that's just how Democrats generally behave. That Democrats, for the most part, want to control your life because they know better than you. There's a certain condescension that liberals tend to have towards people who, are, who dare to question what they believe to hold true or what's even more offensive to Democrats is living a life that they don't understand. Now, go back a, a, an episode or two with us when we spoke about the Atlantic magazine questioning how anyone could pray the rosary. How could someone pray the rosary? How could someone believe that prayer might be beneficial in their life? Well, uh, I, I, I don't know. Why would you think that wearing a cloth mask will protect you from from coronavirus when there's no medical evidence that says it does well uh faith right that's Actually, what it comes down to that would have been an interesting question if they had asked the college kids would you room with someone who didn't believe coronavirus was a big deal mm, that would be a really good one that would be a really good one i would be interested in that poll but anyways, so I was getting to this, and, 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 but, but the point I'm getting at is, is this Democrats get so worked up about being unable to control what other people do or control what other people think or control how other, people's, other people live their lives that they, they, go into, they go into three modes. They go into one attack mode, which is you're a racist, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi, right? We're old enough to remember when George W. Bush was Hitler. This is this is a this is a pattern that that liberals do. Um, the other thing is that they immediately become the victim. Yes, they immediately become the victim. Democrats always become the victim. And what this study did that I was that, that what this poll did is it reminded me of several studies that have come out over the years and they were compiled, I believe, about a year, year and a half ago by The New York Times. Um, the, uh, the <laughs> and, and basically it is, uh, why are conservatives happier than liberals? Um, and that was the name, uh, name of an article by Jamie Napier of NYU and John Jost of NYU, two liberals. There is a second article or a second paper, conservatives are happier than liberals, but why? By Barry Schlenker and John Chambers, both of the University of Florida, and Bonnie Lee of the University of Rochester. 
Both of these academic papers came to the same conclusion that conservatives are happier than liberals. And I tie this to the fact that later on in this poll, this NBC poll with the college sophomores that we were reading, 67% of respondents said that they've experienced anxiety in the past year, as well as 46% who have said they've experienced depression. And as I dug in this poll, I thought, wow, you know, 62, 67, it seems pretty, pretty surprising. Of course, college Democrats are depressed because Democrats are always depressed. They need to be victims, right? <laughs> this is what I found to be the most striking. Another number that fits within this, another 67% response here. 67% said they got the majority of their news from social media. Bingo. There it is, right there. There's no better way to find out if someone is feeling down, depressed, anxious, than to see how much social media that they consume on a daily basis. Now, do you know about the term doom scrolling? No. Okay. So this Should is, I? <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. But this is what people do, and people can fall into this trap uh, regularly, and there is some psychology behind this. But it's what if people do this thing on social media called doom scrolling. And what they do is they basically get into a rabbit hole, a spiral of looking at negative news. Mm. And the psychological reason for this is because humans naturally like to try to find out something that could be dangerous to us. We want to see if something could harm our lives or not. So in some sense, as humans, we are obsessed with danger. We are obsessed with negativity because we are wired to try to prevent negative things from happening in our lives. This inherently, it makes sense. You want to understand what could hurt you, so you don't do that. You want to understand what you can't eat, so that you stay alive, right? If you are that's allergic that's to something. Important. This is logical, right? But unfortunately, with social media, mm -hmm. it is an absolute instant gratification of hitting that receptor, of going boom, bad news, boom, bad news, boom, bad news. We've all seen this. You scroll through social media and you think everyone's life is perfect except for yours because you get this filtered image of everyone's life. This is the biggest negative thing that social media does to people and that's been shouted from the rooftops. You listen to social media executives, are their kids allowed on these platforms? Hell to the no, they are not. To a T, these executives said, oh, no, 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 no. We greatly limit the amount that our children are exposed to these platforms that we push on your children. Why? Because we all know it's bad. We all know it's addictive. We all know it leads to body image issues for girls and for boys. So it's not surprised if you see 67% of kids who are getting their news from social media, you also see that 67% are depressed and anxious. I simply bring this up because what we've seen over the past couple of years is social media companies basically saying, Republicans, you're not wanted. Yes. I hope as Republicans, we have taken that and we have slowly removed social media from our lives. Because in study after study, in those two studies, to go back to this New York Times piece, what did they find? They found that conservatives score higher than liberals on personality and attitude measures that are traditionally associated with positive adjustment in mental health, including personal agency, positive outlook, transcendent moral beliefs, 
and generalized, generalized belief in fairness. These constructs, in turn, can account for why conservatives are happier than liberals and have declined less in happiness in recent decades. It's our conservatism that makes us happy. It's our acceptance that there's only so much that we can control. So that the only thing that we can do is try to make our lives better. When we interact with another person, treat them with kindness. We don't try to disrupt the lives of others and try to have them live their lives according to our beliefs. We see our job, our role as citizens, as to present the best image of ourselves on a daily basis. And that is by doing the right thing no matter who is looking. We don't get upset with other people simply because they have a different political belief than us. As conservatives, we have to be happy warriors because what we're fighting against is depression, anxiety, authoritarianism, and a way at life that's just incredibly miserable. Do you want to wake up every day thinking that, the client, that, that everything's about to burst into flames because someone drives an SUV? Is that how you want to go through life? No, it's not. And that's why we don't go through life like that as conservatives. It's why we don't. We understand the world's changing. We understand things are different than they were 5, 10, 20 years ago. But the funny thing about it is that we're not trying to separate ourselves. We're not trying to segregate ourselves. We're not going, hey, you go over there, we'll go over here. We're going, hey, we're all in this together. Let's just figure it out. I don't care if you're a Democrat. You can hang out in my room. It's not a big deal. Whereas Democrats are going, no, we must divide. We must segregate. This is generation segregation that we are dealing with that's coming up in Generation Z. This is a generation that for us as millennials, we look at and go, what on earth are you talking about? Every single day it felt like in elementary school, we were told it's not the color of your skin, it's the content of your character. And I do mean that. I feel like every single day that was told to me in elementary school, it's not the color of your skin, it's the content of your character. Are you now going to tell me that that statement is racist? Oh. And that is somehow like white privilege, white washing well, or certainly, something? It's certainly against equity. Okay. It's certainly against equity because this is a great place to privilege on why liberals are miserable people. And let's take, let's, let's take a look at something that we spoke about in our last episode, which was the Minneapolis public schools and the teachers' unions agreeing to fire white teachers before poor performing teachers who, are, who represent minority groups. Maybe people, you know, like Fairfax, Virginia, this, this came out, this news came out over the weekend, kept a pedophile on their staff for a year. Ew. No, 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 no. In Minneapolis, under this, though, he would be kept on because he was a black man. Fire the white student, fire the white teacher first. 
and I was curious about this because the usual because the usual th- thing about this because all, all everything I saw Which, about this was people just being like this is like really 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 racist. I don't know if you're about to get into this, but mm-hmm. I we were talking about this article last night because I had found it, uh, and I was like, oh, it's that thing we were talking about uh, on our last podcast, and they d- basically doubled down on it and went on Good Morning America and were like, why is this a problem? We're not laying off anyone. We're down teachers. Oh, okay. So nothing is racist as long as you're not currently utilizing it. Is that exactly the new definition? I am sure that they would have no problem with a a rewritten contract that said, you know, we're not downsizing right now, but if we downsize, we're going to prioritize firing black teachers. Yeah. Why not? It's funny because that was one argument. There's a second argument that I saw. And this was the full-blown racial equity. Now, folks, I want to make sure that we have a little short talk here about the difference between equality and equity. Okay. Enlighten us. When you hear people talk about they want equality, generally it's talking about equality of opportunity, right? Yep. Everyone kind of, equality means everyone's kind of got the same shot. Equity is everyone gets the same outcome. There's a difference between that. And I found a really horrible site called The Grio. Where uh, this um, <clears throat> shockingly angry man, Michael Harriet, uh, talks about how this is a beautiful plan. It's important to note <laughs> this is so. So let, let's start out with this. So his argument is is that there's academic data that shows that um, black students do better under black teachers. Okay. Hispanic students do better under Hispanic teachers. White students under white student white te- students under white teachers hmm. okay i looked at the sourcing of his articles we are talking about th- th- single digit percentage changes in test scores Right, three to six percent. We're talking about things that are kind of just maybe significant, just maybe, maybe. So he says the students are thirty-seven percent white, thirty-four percent black, seventeen percent Hispanic, but the staff are sixty-six percent white, seventeen percent black, and six percent Hispanic. And he's saying that this has caused the gap. So we need to we need to level this out. We need to we need to level this out. We need to have the Minneapolis public school teachers match the racial enrollment of Minneapolis public schools. Okay. Okay. Um, and he's saying that this is the problem. This is why black students aren't don't have the same graduation rates as white students. Ah, we've solved it. Yep. Here's the issue though. When we look at how the trend has been going from 2013 to now, 
black students are actually achieving at higher rates incrementally than white students have since 2013. It's 2013, white, in 2013, white students graduated at a 75% clip. They now graduate at 89% clip. Okay? It's a pretty good jump, 75 to 89%. This is white. White students. Okay. Black students did start. This is only in Minneapolis? This is Minneapolis public schools. Black students started off as 45%. Okay. Mm. Jumped up to 68%. That's a 23-point jump. A 23-point jump for black students over this time period versus a jump of 14 points for white students. So you would think if these horrible white teachers were as racist as as we want to believe, that black students certainly would not have seen the incremental gains that they saw against their white peers. They would have been equal or less, or maybe depressed. That's what I would lead to believe, judging by this man. The second thing with his issue is that the racial makeup of Minneapolis. The racial makeup of Minneapolis, Minneapolis is 63% white. School district, school district staff is 66% white. This is a school district that represents, this is a school district right now that roughly makes up the racial makeup of the area, of the talent pool that they're pulling from. But not of the student population? But not of the student population. Hmm. How come those numbers differ? The numbers differ because over the past couple of years, white students have been pulled out of the Minneapolis schools because, because, because <laughs> white parents didn't want their kids, wanted their kids back in school. There's been the, the, the point about this fund, the funding being cut for Minneapolis is that is that it's it's I shouldn't say it's not just the white students. It's the upper class students. It's the upper and middle class parents of all racial makeups who have the possibility, who have them, who have the money to send their kids to a charter school, who have the money to send their kids to a public school. Yep. Or, or, or to a private school, I should say, or can homeschool. Have the resources, have the income from a parent, from one parent, so that another parent can homeschool. That is privilege. That's economic privilege. It has nothing to do with race. But that's but that's what happened. Is that the middle and upper class kids got pulled out? Okay, so it's 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 left with a situation. This is where his argument goes from: let's help kids to. We, this, this is about economic justice. What is it? It's important to note that Minneapolis is nearly 63% white. And because K-12 education is closely related to future earnings, college acceptance, and crime, the city's non-white taxpayers are essentially funding an education system for white people. They are giving their tax dollars to improve educational outcomes and increase the general wealth, generational wealth of white people. Um... <laughs> right so we're just going to move on from that because that's just complete nonsense that um i don't i don't, I don't even know what the argument is here is that is that i think it's people of color shouldn't be forced to pay taxes because white people live near them and this concept does not just apply to minneapolis public schools it's actually how the world work typo to achieve equi- equity, 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 someone must suffer. If a company with a fixed profit margin, no such thing, is underpaying its black employees, they can't just fix it by pulling money out of thin air and giving it to the black workers. Someone has to take a pay cut. That's economic nonsense. That's surprising. Um, they're, 
Do you know of any company with a fixed profit margin? Where costs stay fixed and, and their prices that they receive for their goods stay fixed? Is this like a government thing? What is this? What is he talking? This is a man who's never, never, never even done arithmetic. If you have a profit, you could, you can always. Anyone who advocates for economic equity must also advocate for the redistrib redistribution of resources. That's how diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Remember, DEI right there. DEI. Not only does it create a more stable environment for everyone, except for the person you're taking from, but it actually creates a more realistic world for people who previously benefited from the inequity of people. Who wants to live in a world filled with mediocre people who are bad at their job? Right, because that's what the Minneapolis Public School Union, school teacher school union contract will do. It's actually designed to make sure that mediocre people stay in their job because you're not doing performance-based firing and hiring. You're doing race-based firing and hiring. Just because a black person is teaching black kids doesn't mean that their educational outcomes are immediately going to be better. Just the same thing that if a if a if a black teacher teaches white students, the white teachers the white students' educational outcomes won't necessarily be worse. It's preposterous. We've all had good teachers. We know how valuable a good teacher is. But this is the left. This is the left, and they've decided that the battlefield of the future are elementary schools. Wonderful. Okay. I think we've beaten that horse. <laughs> I think we've beaten that horse. They're going to be forgiving student loans this week. But only for the ones to the like ITT technical school, right? No, that just happened. This is the new one. There's another one? And another one. <laughs> let, me, let me pull it up for you here. Oh, yeah. We're going to get all weird with it. The deadline's coming. It's August 31st. Oh, boy. They're going to hear within the next week or so, said Education Secretary Miguel Cardona. He's going to do it. It's an election year. Biden has extended the pause four times. Most recently in April, arguing is necessary to allow federal student loan borrowers to get back on their feet. Well, now it's a recession. Now it's a recession. Democratic lawmakers and advocates have been urging Biden to broadly cancel up to $50,000 in student loan per borrower. Boy. The White House has suggested Biden is considering canceling $10,000 per borrower, including those who earn more than $125,000 a year. Congratulations, you went and got a productive job with a productive degree. Pay us money. Congratulations, you got an unproductive job because of your unproductive degree. We're going to give you more money to forgive your student loan debt because protest basket weaving isn't a career. It's more like the government, yet again, got involved in something they shouldn't have gotten involved in, and now we're just, it's just a house of cards. It's a complete disaster. I mean, before they butted themselves in to student loans, college wasn't even that expensive. No. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And now it's astronomical. Mm-hmm. 
And there's no other reason for it, except that the government got involved. Think about this. The government got involved to make sure that everyone could get good-paying jobs and become enlightened with higher education. And 50 years later, we've created a generation of kids who want to segregate ourselves based on race and politics. Higher education has been a disaster for this country. (laughs) (laughs) It's been an absolute disaster. I don't know what's been worse for this country, the sexual revolution or... Higher or or federal involvement in higher education. I literally don't know what's been worse for this country. Both have been horrible outcomes. Horrible, 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 horrible outcomes for this country. Happy Sunday. <laughs> All right. So maybe something more pleasant. Yeah. Well, it ended on this. Let's end it on happiness because we're conservatives and we're happy. I always like to do this. You haven't. I I I do a lot of the show prep. Don't let him fool you. He does all the show prep. I can whisper like Joe Biden. <laughs> Please don't. And I always like to. I always like to quiz quiz Katie on something. Oh, good. And I Here did we find. Go. I did find a fast food story earlier, but we've done a lot but of fast food lately. We've done so much of that. We've done so much fast food. So I saw this today. This is in Fox Business. Okay. States with the most generous tippers, despite inflation. What do you generally tip? Twenty percent. Me too. It's kind of the standard. Basic, standard. right? Basics, 20%. 20% I mean, you really got to mess something up for me to go below 20%. It's got to be pretty bad because I was a waitress and I understand how awesome it is to get good tips. So there's just really no reason to tip people less unless it's really terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And generally, also, and generally speaking, also, wait, generally I have, speaking wait, hold on. I have a good waitress story for this one. So back when I was waitressing in my, like the first few weeks I was waitressing, I was on the lunch shift, which I was waitressing at a restaurant in DC. And so it gets crazy for an hour. And so I got seated like all the tables at once, which is not how you're supposed to do it at a restaurant. We had a bad manager who left after that. But anyway, you're supposed to do, you know, one in somebody's section and then another, and you just kind of like go in a circle. So no one's ever sat all at once. Anyway, I got like four tables at once. And so TLDR, I never put in this table's order. So they were just sitting there waiting and I thought the food was just taking a long time. So Eventually, I went over to figure it out, and I told them, oh, the kitchen's, like, really backed up, and then I ran back to the kitchen and was like, you got to help me out and, like, shove this through, and so I got them their stuff, and then at the end, when I gave them their bill, when I went to pick it up, he was like, can I tell you a story? And I was like, oh, Lord, here we go, and he was basically lectured me that I should not have lied to him, and I should have just told him that I didn't put their order in, and I was just like, you know what? I didn't say this to him. I was polite and moved on. But in my head, I was like, just tip me 0% and move on. You don't need to lecture me. Please don't do that. <laughs> so anyway, that's one of my stories. I heard it. I heard it. I had a story. I'll just tell this quickly. This is, I never, I never worked in, in food service, but I had a couple of friends, obviously, who did. And one person started a table and introduced himself when we waited today. And the, the, the dad was there with his family and he put a stack of dollar bills on the table and he said, this is your tip. Right now, for every good thing you do, I'll add a dollar. For every bad thing, I'll take away a dollar. And the waiter walked away from the table. <laughs> Honestly, don't do that either. Ay, ay, ay. I don't think the manager had any sympathy for the customer. <laughs> we need that clip from the office where Stanley goes, What is wrong with you? <laughs> um, states with the most generous tippers. 
What do you think state would be with the most generous tipper? I feel like it's got to be something counterintuitive, like a really poor state. So Mississippi? You know, that's not a bad <laughs> guess. You're on, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. Okay, so it's somewhere in the south. Uh, I think people will consider this flyover country. Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean, you're like, you're like, you've got your, you've got the Kansas. right idea. Kansas. <laughs> I, I, Indiana. Oh, okay, Indiana yeah. is the most generous state for tipping in the second quarter of 2022 with an average tip of 21%. Good for them. Followed by West Virginia. Take me home. Country roads, 20.8%. Ohio, Delaware, and Kentucky rounding out the top five at 20.7%. So shout out Indiana, West Virginia, Ohio, Delaware, and Kentucky. You're the best tippers in the country. Would you care to take a guess the state that's the stingiest in the country when it comes to voluntarily handing over some of their hard-earned shekels to a food service employee? Uh, in the top 10 of the most generous, you didn't say New York, right? I did not say New York. Okay. It's got to be New York or California. It's California. <laughs> California. The least generous tippers with an average of 17.5%. Now, 17.5%. our listeners, they're going to bark at us for the reason why it could be. I'm not saying our listeners do this. They probably don't. But they, California one, has a like one of the highest minimum wage That's correct. standards and I think applies it to restaurant workers. Whereas okay. like when I was waitressing in DC, I made like $2 an hour. I didn't make $8 or whatever the minimum was. So, and they generally add like some sort of a healthcare percentage ridiculousness. So I could see Californians saying, well, they're getting minimum wage. So why do I need to tip them 20%? As I, as I, got older and started being able to snag the check when we would go out um in california i remember the first couple of times that i was just a little quicker than my father-in-law get that bill i think i gotta tell you the number of surcharges are generally longer than the itemized list of what you ordered there's a lot of stuff <laughs> you know you got an appetizer for you had some appetizer for people our main courses and all that and then it's like okay service tax sales tax city tax county tax Healthcare county tax. health tax city health tax service animal tax <laughs> now you know, you're just making stuff anxiety up. over climate change tax I need to change my hair color this week, chat, tat. You're like, what the hell is going on here? But no, I, I, so I understand what you're saying is that you do get a sticker shock when you get a bill at, at California because you realize you didn't just pay for your meal. You realize that you kind of just paid part of their, you know, like part, part of, part of like everyone else's like, 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 like they're just general needs. It's like, you kind of look at it here. It's like, it's like how many like Kickstarters did I just donate to this meal? You know, like what's going on here? Um, so I do agree with that, but I still, I mean, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> it is great to point out that, uh, that California is, is, is coming in. Where, in 50 where out of 50. is New York on that list? Uh, uh, the other least it? generous states include Washington, 18.3. Another liberal state. Florida and New York at 18.5. Oh. And then Hawaii, Tejas, and Nevada at 18.8. Wow. I'm surprised about Texas. 
Yeah. But I'm also not surprised. <laughs> I'm also not surprised. <laughs> I'll share my thoughts on Texas at another time. Uh, that's all I got. This is a long show. We went over by like 10 minutes. Hope you liked it, y'all. See you on Tuesday. See ya. Drill, baby, drill. He had such enormous fun that he called for another elephant to come. It's just awfully good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in our country. Because you'd be in jail. Secretary Clinton. Two elephants were out at play upon a spider's web. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Stay out the bushes. Jeff is a mess. <laughs> <laughs>